Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Redeeming Hope. We exist as a family of faith that follows Jesus and helps others find him by living all of life as missionaries of hope. If you want more information about our church or would like to support our ministry, go to our website at redeeminghope.org. Please enjoy the sermon podcast. Greetings, everyone. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I'm so excited to be here with you again today as we gather around the gospel in the book of Ephesians. The series title is In Him, and the title of today's message is A Wider View of Grace Based on Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. I I love the book of Ephesians. Uh, Every time I go to any text in this book and really dig into it, you know, I just walk away so encouraged. And that's what I want for you today. I want you to be encouraged uh, as we look at this text here in Ephesians 3 today. And this idea of grace maybe being a little deeper and wider, the magnitude of it, the scope of it, maybe than we have thought before or considered before. So let's dive right into Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Paul writes, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light For everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask for help for the speaker and the hearers alike. We need your grace to see and know more, as this text says, of the unsearchable riches of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul here is talking about this mystery revealed. And you know, anytime we see the word mystery in the New Testament, we ought not keep it a mystery. We have to understand that this mystery is once concealed, now revealed. It's been revealed in Christ, and that's what Paul is saying is this thing that was you know, in a box that was behind a veil, I'm, I'm pulling the veil back, I'm opening up the box, I'm unpacking this, this case and showing you what's inside, and it's Christ. And it's passages like this here in Ephesians 3 that show us that grace is not the ABCs of our faith, but grace is the A to Z of our faith. Most people see grace as the door into the kingdom, but then you sort of move on from grace into other things. But this passage gives us a wider view of grace, a deeper view of grace, that grace is the foundation, the walls, and the roof. Grace is the beginning and the end. There was a story I heard a few years ago uh, on a a teaching uh, tape, 
literally a tape. It was this old cassette tape um, because this guy had passed away years before. His name was Edgar Parkins, an Englishman, was a missionary to Africa. And uh, I always enjoyed hearing him teach. And the only place I could find him was on tapes. And so uh, he shared a story about when he would take ships uh, back from Africa to England. And when, he, when they would come back to England sometimes, they, they would come into this, you know, the, the outer, you know, the outer banks, the outer shores of England, and as they would come in sometimes, there'd be these terrible storms that, as Edgar Parkin said, that only England knows. And in, in that situation, he said that uh, England, in, in the port, this harbor, had what they called a harbor captain uh, when the weather would turn like this. And what would happen is the harbor captain would come out on this smaller vessel, he would board the larger vessel, and there would be this, literally this ceremonial handing over of controls from the original captain of the ship to the harbor captain. And once those controls were handed over to the harbor captain, the original captain had no say in the direction of the ship because the harbor captain uh, knew how to bring this ship safely to port. It was his job, he was trained to do it. And so on one of these return trips home from Africa, uh, this terrible storm came upon the waters and the harbor captain boarded the ship. And Ed Edgar Parkin said, uh, I wanted to go out and see, uh, just watch the, the, you know, the stormy waters as we were being taken safely to port. And he says, my eyes caught something. He said, I saw a buoy. And on the buoy, it said alpha. And then another buoy, beta. And then another buoy, gamma, the Greek alphabet. And he said, I followed the buoys from Alpha to Omega all the way until the harbor captain took us safely to port. And you know, that is a picture of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We, we enter the, the, the sea of life and the storms of life. And, and at some point in your life, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've said, I surrender to you. I trust you. I, I shift my center of gravity to you. I I yield to you as Lord and Savior and King of my heart. And when King Jesus comes in our hearts, he takes over the, the, the controls. You are no longer in control. I am no longer in control. He is the Lord and he controls the direction of our lives. If you were reading in our Bible reading plan this week in Psalm 107, it says he leads us in a straight path to the city of our dwelling. And so the harbor captain takes over and, and we trust him as he takes us from alpha to omega and brings us safely home. He's the Lord, he's the captain of the whole journey, Alpha to Omega. And what I wanna talk about today as we look at this text here in Ephesians 3 is how this, this scripture here in Ephesians shows us multiple facets of grace. And I'm just gonna look at three here, salvation, suffering, and ministry. Grace for salvation, grace for suffering, and grace for ministry. So let's look at this first idea of grace in our salvation. As we look back in the text, we see Paul shows us the door into the kingdom in verse 8 when he says this, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. The very least of all the saints. I mean, that sounds like an inferiority complex. Paul, on one hand, had this low view of himself, but he was not an insecure man. He was, if you look at the story of his life, he was an incredible leader because his security was not in himself, but Christ. Now, th this idea, this dichotomy, this paradox, is something the world doesn't understand. 
Some would say, verses like this one are exactly what I don't like about Christianity and religion. It puts you down. I'm the least of all the saints. I mean, what kind of thinking is that? But what we have to understand is that the gospel humbles us before it lifts us up. Tim Keller said this, the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done, will always cause offense because it shows us having a need we cannot meet. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3, Jesus actually said something similar in his Sermon on the Mount when he said this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Don't you see? Jesus is showing us the door to the kingdom. And the door to the kingdom is described in his words as being poor in spirit. What is he saying? Blessed are those who recognize their spiritual poverty without God for theirs is the kingdom. One commentary writer says, blessed are the helpless, for they'll reach for help. So the door to the kingdom is this understanding that Paul had, I'm the least of all the saints, this idea that I've fallen short of God's glory and I'm undeserving of grace and yet grace is available to me because God is loving, God is merciful, God is gracious and generous. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. It literally means blessed are the beggars. Is there something in your heart that comes to him and says, you are my salvation? I don't don't earn my salvation. I don't achieve my salvation. I don't impress you or perform for you to gain my salvation. That's what it means to come by grace. Maybe you've heard it said that the only thing we contribute to our salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. And so that's what Paul's referencing here when he's talking about how he's the least of all the saints. Let me ask you a question. What is the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian? I think some people, you know, as I've moved here to Clarksville, Tennessee, I think some people might answer that question, that a Christian is more, lives a, a, a more moral life, a, a, you know, a cleaner life than a non-Christian. Now, is that true? Is that the fundamental difference between a Christian and a non-Christian? Is that a Christian is more moral? It's not always the difference, actually. I could cite many, many cases where an unbeliever is living a far more morally clean life than a Christian is. So really, what is the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian? Because Christians fail and Christians struggle just like everyone else does. So what's the difference? Here's the difference. A Christian has the supernatural power the grace from God to finally admit that they need salvation. A Christian has the courage to finally say, I'm not only a sinner, but I have no hope of ever doing enough to gain God's approval or favor through my own works and righteousness. His grace is my only hope and his grace is given at the cross and I'm all in on the cross. That's really the fundamental difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. Now, God is... You know, he's, he's working on us. He's sanctifying us. And over time, I do think we grow in, you know, we grow out of our sinful habits, our sinful ways. But there may be times, periods of time, or, or long chapters in the life of a Christian or even young Christians where they're struggling with sin. And that, that actually, I believe, is the normal Christian experience. And so the real difference is that a, a Christian has the power from God to admit our helplessness, the power from God to admit that we are poor in spirit, the power from God to say, I'm the least of all the saints. Because then 
we see the grace of God, grace for salvation. The second grace we see here in this text is grace to suffer. And I'm gonna just pull out two verses here. Verse one from Ephesians 3. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then down in verse 13, he says, I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. And if you've been here uh, previously hearing any of these messages on Ephesians, let me remind you that this is a prison epistle. According to tradition, the apostle Paul wrote the letter to this church in Ephesus while he was in prison in Rome around 62 AD, right around the same time that he wrote the epistle to the Colossians, which in many points resembles this book, and also the epistle to Philemon. And what I want you to see here is that Paul is suffering. He's in isolation. He's, he's in, a, in, in a context that is lonely. You know, who knows what he was experiencing physically. I think there's, there's one uh, text where Paul asks for somebody to bring his coat while he's in prison. And yet, Paul, he's not whining. It's amazing, isn't it? He's not like, you know, this letter is not full of gloom and doom and how terrible, complaining about how terrible it is. I mean, probably nobody blame him if he did say that. But he actually seems to be doing better than his hearers are. Because he says, don't lose heart over what I'm suffering for you. In other words, he wasn't losing heart. He's saying, I don't want you to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is for your glory. So what does this tell us for him to have this grace in this prison cell, this attitude even toward his hearers in the letter? First of all, it tells us that our gospel works in prisons and pandemics and in political and cultural turmoil and in international turmoil. Our gospel works in dark places. The second thing this tells us is that Paul in his own heart was not a prisoner of Rome or of the Jews, He was a prisoner, as he says in verse one, of the Lord Jesus Christ. That ultimately it was Jesus and the plan of Jesus for his life that brought him to this prison. It wasn't the plan of a a Roman proconsul or some magistrate that sort of forced him into this situation he didn't wanna be in. It was the plan of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've heard of uh, the movie, The End of the Spear. It's a movie that tells the story of Steve Saint who lost his father as a martyr to the Aka tribe in Ecuador in 1956. Uh, His father, uh, Nate Saint, was part of a a group of five men, one of them very famous and often quoted Jim Elliott, I think which was on our uh, social media Instagram this week, there was a quote from Jim Elliott. And so it's the story of of the son and Steve and what he went through after, uh, during and after his father's death. And, And at the end of the movie, one of the Aka tribe named Minkayani opens up to Steve Saint and tells him something shocking at the end of the movie. Minkayani, after uh, some of the families of, the, of those who were martyred literally went back to the Aka tribe, forgave them of the murder of their family members and brought the gospel to them. It's an amazing story. Minkayani tells Steve Saint, your father was a special man. I saw him jump the great boa while he was still alive. That's speaking of how they spoke of death. He said, I speared your father. There is more you need to know. We saw them. Your father saw them too. Shining ones, angels in the moment of death. They had seen angels right after they speared the missionaries. Steve Saint responded to Minkayani, who was literally offering 
uh, Minkayani was offering Steve Saint the, the opportunity to take vengeance out on him. Here's what Steve Saint said. No one took my father's life. He gave it. No one took my father's life. He gave it. Again, we see grace in, the, in a tremendous story of suffering, not only of you know, the five men who died, but also the families that they left behind. He saw God's grace in it. He saw God's sovereignty in it. And Paul says in verse 13, don't lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is for your glory, which means it's for your gain. And because Paul had such a high view of God's sovereignty, he saw purpose in the suffering, just like Steve Saint did. It was not meaningless. It was for the glory of God. Now, I want to introduce two uh, simple theological concepts for you that uh, have encouraged me and I hope would encourage you. Sovereignty, God's sovereignty. What do we mean when we say that? And then providence. Maybe you've heard that. It, it, it appears actually a lot in like early American writings of the pilgrims. They would talk about God's providence in this. Uh, but I think they're both helpful and useful terms for us to apply to our lives. Let me just define those for you. God's sovereignty is God's right to rule. You know, God's authority and claim over creation and everything that he has, you know, everything he has created, including you and me. It's God's right to rule over his creation and over humanity. Providence is related, but it's slightly different. God's providence is his wise, loving, and prudent use of his sovereignty. Let me explain what I mean. I was explaining these ideas to my daughter, Joy, when she was, she's 21 now, when she was still in our home, and we were, you know, teaching some gospel truths, when I taught these ideas to my daughter, Joy, this idea of sovereignty and providence, she said, yeah, that's really important to understand, isn't it? Because it's one thing to know that God is in control, but what if his plans stink? <laughs> you know, it, God is in control, that's, that's a great thought, but what if he's mean? What if he's cruel? What if he doesn't have your best interests in mind? What if he doesn't have a father's heart or a father's love? So providence tells us that he does, that he uses his sovereignty in a wise, loving, and prudent way in your life. He uses his sovereignty with kindness and benevolence toward us. And sitting in his prison cell in Rome, Paul deeply believed that. That God was sovereign over this situation, that he is a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ, but that also this plan, this situation he was in, was God's wisdom. And it was God's love. And it was God's prudent use of his sovereignty. Think about the context of your life. A lot of people, they blame God. They get mad at God for, you know, their suffering and what they're going through. But if we just take a step back and step into this text and sit with Christ in heavenly places and look from God's perspective, we might be able to say like Paul did, don't lose heart over what I'm suffering. It's for the glory of God. God is, he's sovereign in the suffering. He's working a story in the suffering that is coming from his motive of wisdom and love. That deeply comforts me. And I'd go as far as to say it's my surest defense when I do suffer and when I go through confusing, troubling, or difficult trials. So with the knowledge of this comes the spiritual power to walk through suffering. I remember when I was young, uh, teenager, in uh, the church I grew up in that I came to Christ in, there was a woman in our church named Carol Timer. And uh, she, she received a, a terminal cancer diagnosis. And, and yet, as we watched her fade and ultimately pass away, she had tremendous grace in her life. And it stuck with me to this day. And I remember one day, not long before she died, um, 
you know, a couple of us were sitting around her bed and, and I was just, after observing this grace that she had, this peace that she had, I said, how, how do you do this? How can you do this? I don't think I could go through what you're going through with the, the peace that you have and the grace that you have. Her answer was profound. She said, well, you get cancer grace when you get cancer. You get end of life grace when it's the end of your life. And she's right. You know, what God demands of us, he also provides. What his will demands, he also provides. And if his will demands for you to walk through a difficult trial, to walk down a dark path, to walk through a dark tunnel, he will give you the grace. The same grace he gave Paul is available to you. You don't have a junior Holy Spirit or a smaller Holy Spirit than Paul or a smaller grace than Paul. We get the same grace to walk through the trials of life that Paul did. And no matter what it is, if it's financial pressure, you get financial pressure grace. If it's sickness, you get grace for the sickness, grace for the, grace for the, the, the physical afflictions we go through. He's with us. His grace is with us. She was saying, I have grace to suffer because I know it's for the glory of God. Paul was saying, my imprisonment is for the glory of God. So we see in this text, grace for salvation, but we see a wider uh, application of grace, grace for suffering. And then finally, in this text, we see grace to minister, grace for ministry. I've mentioned previously that anywhere we see the word grace, we should insert the phrase, power beyond my ability. That's an idea that is stuck with me uh, and, and helps me as I see the word grace appear in scripture. And here in Ephesians 3, Paul is referring to his ability to minister as grace. So grace is not just for salvation. Here we see him apply it directly to his ministry. Verse two, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. He's talking about his ministry. Verse eight, to me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now let's insert the phrase power beyond my ability. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's power beyond my ability that was given to me for you. To me, the very least of all the saints, this power beyond my ability was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. One more note on this. The grace that was given to Paul included insight, power to understand the gospel, first of all for Paul, and then for his hearers. Verse four, he says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Again, again mystery, once concealed, now revealed. Paul received grace from the Holy Spirit through his conversion and all that he went through in his early days uh, of ministry, gospel ministry. The mystery was revealed to him. And then through him, a ministry, he literally had a ministry, a grace from God to open the eyes of the Gentiles to the mystery of grace. Ephesians 3, as he's praying uh, later on in this very chapter, as he's praying for uh, the Ephesian believers, he says, I'm praying that you'd have power to comprehend with all the saints the love of God. And so the grace that was given him was power to comprehend the gospel and then grace to preach the gospel so that others could comprehend the gospel. So that's Paul's ministry and the grace working in him in ministry. Now, maybe you hear that and you go, well, that's great. He was an apostle, but what about you and me? I mean, you know, he wrote half the New Testament. <laughs> That's not me. It, it, can we apply this idea to us? Well, as Paul teaches the church in Corinth through his letter to them in 1 Corinthians, he says this in 1 Corinthians 12. 
to each, speaking of all members of Christ's body, is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. All these, speaking of God's people, are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now, what does this tell us? This means that no Christian is skipped by God when it comes to grace for ministry, power beyond our ability to do works of ministry like Jesus did. So the question isn't, do I have a ministry or do I have a place in the, you know, in kingdom work, gospel ministry, gospel work? The question is, what has God given you, distinctly given you grace to do? And part of our growing in God is discovering that. We should all discover what our grace gifts are and begin to pour into others for the glory of God. When I was about 11 years old, same, son, same age as my son, uh, Jack, my Uncle Dickie uh, invited my father and me along on a fishing trip to the Finger Lakes in western New York to catch brown trout. It was one of the best days of my life. My dad and my uncle provided everything, the transportation, the food, the bait, the boat. We caught dozens and dozens of brown trout. I think the smallest one we caught was like three and a half pounds. On our way home, I remember riding in this old truck. I was half asleep between my father and my uncle. They thought I was asleep, but I wasn't. And I heard my uncle say to my dad, you know, this is the first time I feel like Derek isn't just a little kid, but he's actually becoming my friend. My father said, yeah, me too. Here I was, along for the ride with these men who'd provided everything for me on that beautiful day when I was an 11-year-old boy. And now they're saying that it wasn't even a bother to them. We were friends. I've never forgotten that day. And here are you and I on this adventure with God here in Clarksville for those who are part of Redeeming Hope. If you're watching from a distance, God's put you in your city, in your context. Here we are in this adventure with God. You and I sit between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And like Jesus called Peter a fisher of men, you and I are both fishing for souls together with him. We share in our Father's work. We get to be a part of what he's doing. And he's provided everything for you and for me. And now he even calls you his friend. Jesus says, I call you friends. Yet Ephesians says we weren't always in that place. At the beginning of our stories, we were afar off, dead in our trespasses and, trespasses and sins. We were orphans. Yet God brought us in and lets us join his family. He saves us. He's with us. He provides all things for us and welcomes us to join him in this great adventure, to join him in his kingdom work, to join him in ministry. When we sing that his grace is amazing, we're right but let's remember how amazing it really is, how deep and wide it really is. And how do we have access to this grace? Why do we have access to this grace? Verse 12 in this text, it says, in whom, speaking of Jesus, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Romans 5 says, we have access through Christ by faith into this grace. Why do we have access? It's because of Jesus and what he's done. He made a way. He's the bridge between heaven and earth. And it's through him that we have access into grace for salvation, grace for suffering, grace for ministry. 
So let's become partakers of it. Because it's easy, you know, you, you can have a, you can have a, a, a beautiful old car and put a tarp on it and put it, in the, put it in the garage and, you know, put the keys in a safe and never drive it. And sometimes I think we treat God's grace like that. We have access to this amazing resource, but we need to get in, we need to turn it on, we need to drive it. The Bible says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to encourage us to do that today. How do we apply this message? First of all, I want to encourage you to believe that God's grace is sufficient. If you're not a believer, I want you to consider the gospel's assessment of your need of grace and flee to Jesus Christ like the rest of us. Go to him. Trust him as king and Lord, savior, treasure. Welcome him to sit on the throne of your heart. Shift your center of gravity to him. Say, I trust you. I believe and I trust you. How do we respond? Remind yourselves from the scriptures of God's sovereignty, providence, and future promises when you suffer. If you're suffering, I want to encourage you to go to the word of God, to go and mine the word of God. Look for those promises of God that are yours in Christ. Promises like the famous one in Romans 8, 28. God works all things for the good for those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. Another way we respond is I want to encourage you to investigate where you have grace to serve in ministry. And usually that's actually a a team experience. You have brothers and sisters around you. I want to encourage you to to ask the question, where do you see me serving in ministry? What gifts do you think I have to serve in ministry? And if it's not clear, then enter into a time of prayer and ask the Lord to give you wisdom for where you fit in the context of the body so that you can serve in the grace that God has given you to do ministry like Jesus. And finally, who should we be thinking about as we consider this message? You know, when I was in Africa, there was a man named Reverend Kunda, a pastor. Every time we met with him, he always seemed like he had this urgency and he would leave the meetings every time by saying, I need to go, people are waiting for me. And he didn't mean he had appointments on his schedule. He meant he had divine appointments that he needed to go because he would go from village to village preaching and starting churches. And he literally meant that God has prepared people for me to meet. I don't know who they are yet, but he's prepared people for me to meet so that I can bring the good news of Jesus to them. And I need to go. People are waiting for me. He was one of the most zealous uh, pastors and evangelists I've ever met in my life, Reverend Kunda. And I want you to trust God that people are waiting for you in Clarksville. People are waiting for you in your workplace. People are waiting for you in the school. Whatever context he's put you in, God's sovereignty and providence has put you there and people are waiting for you and that he has a place for you in his kingdom work. I pray you're encouraged as you think about these things uh, today, as you think about these things this week, as we look at the scope and magnitude of this wider view of God's grace that Ephesians 3 gives us so that we can begin to walk in the joy of his grace in deeper and greater ways. Thanks for watching today. Thanks for listening. God bless you. Thank you for listening. We gather every Sunday at the Clarksville area YMCA. For more information, please go to our website at redeeminghope.org.